Anxiety, well-managed, can be critical thinking. Very good at picking up on the environment they're in. Because, you know, in so many parts of life, you have to put on this persona to fit in and not be who you may be, which is bloody hard work. You know, it's funny, we get hired based on strengths for whether it's sport or work, or whichever type of work, actually, I guess, sorry. And then, but usually we get fed back on our deficits. So it's bloody hard work. So you're looking approximately 40% of the population has strong neurodiverse traits and society is still set up for 60. Hey, I hope you're keeping well. I'm Brian Moylet, former rugby player, now mindset and performance coach. And welcome to the pod. This podcast is about well-being and high performance. And in it, you will learn how you can be happier, more fulfilled and more successful. I recently wrote the book on how to become a pro rugby player, forward by Robbie Henshaw, which went to number one in the charts. And you can get this now on Amazon and Audible with the links in the show notes. Please connect me now over on social media at Brian Moylet and at Offfield Rugby. If you enjoyed the pod, please subscribe to it, leave a rating and review wherever you're listening now. And also you can send it on to some friends. Would really appreciate that. All right, we'll get into today's episode. Cheers. Hey, hope you're keeping well. Today I'm chatting with Natasha Jones from Divergent Thinking. Cheers for jumping on. Thank you for inviting me. So like we were chatting just before, I suppose to start, talk to me about neurodiversity. In what way? What it is? Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. So neurodiversity, the way we look at neurodiversity is we use um, we use the little n for neurodiversity and the big n. So the neurodiverse with the little n is every single brain in the universe, you know, 8 billion different brains are all wired slightly differently. So we use that philosophy for everybody because stigma is about a them and us. And then big end for neurodiversity is for those who have traits that are strong enough that would get a diagnosis if they chose to. So, um, so yeah. And so within that, within the little end, we have quadrants that we've created, which helps people sort of understand how their brains are wired from a very simplistic perspective. That's something that Anton, my co-founder and I've created with his um with him being a forensic psychologist and he um so that is really useful for everybody and our philosophy in in the workplace or the community is if you understand that everybody's brains are slightly different and everybody does what they do for good reason um whether it appears functional or not to you then particularly with our model, you can start to pick up on their from their vocabulary what they're looking for from you, whether they are someone who is very data-focused, what we would call top-left, or someone who's bottom-left who would be structurally focused as part of their brain wiring, or bottom-right is um, an empath, emotional intelligence, or top-right is um, innovation and creativity from a little end. And then when you you overlay it with the labels is what we do. And, you know, your top left and your bottom left can be OCD, um, autism. One of them can be data focused. One can be very structurally focused. Um, and top right is where ADHD, ADD, um, I'm using acronyms, which I should probably um, expand on, 
and dyslexia, dyscalculia, et cetera, are in the top right. And then we also include, um, what is it? We also include anxiety and depression from a brain wiring perspective. So someone who's born with that brain wiring rather than an event, they sit in the bottom right. And um, which one is it? I think uh, anxiety, well-managed, can be critical thinking, very good at picking up on the environment they're in, um, and really important with top right to a quite risk adverse. Um, and the other one can be um, people, they can pick up on the people and the vibe, which is again a, a phenomenal skill for teachers, counsellors, things like that. So, and our philosophy that we we put out there is if you understand the quadrants, then, and you'll pick up on when, if you do the programs, you pick up on the way people speak and what they're looking for, which enables you to give them what they need in order to be able to thrive, then people can come to a sports club or an organization or a community group and share their big end traits and because they will vary so much then people feel safer knowing that this is an environment that will support them that um, wants to support them wants to help them thrive and everybody thrive so it's a, a slightly different way very we take a very strengths focused look at neurodiversity that was a long answer wasn't it <laughs> yeah brilliant no brilliant love it and yeah i suppose i'm thinking about it. i've just been learning so much i've been hearing a lot about neurodiversity in the last say two years and just i'm really interested in it and because my experience say in school or in sports teams or i didn't really enjoy sitting in an office but in school especially like i would just always be getting into trouble always be getting into trouble and I didn't like intentionally for like just chatting or just I would ask questions that weren't on the curriculum or that like just and that was the same in sports like I played rugby played every sport I could but I would ask the coaches questions and they would kind of say oh just shut up and get on with it or you know that kind of way and yeah and then my other teammates some teammates would kind of say that as well and to be honest, when I look back, I had half the coaches I had, I was lucky to play at higher levels were brilliant, brilliant coaches that coach at the top level and they all loved me. And then the ones, other ones didn't and they hated me. And I at just, the top level? Like, no, like say lower levels. So when I was say playing, mm. like I, for instance, just before I was jumping on here, I was just um, thinking about it. And I, one example I was in the Ireland under 18 squad, the Ireland school squad, and I went to a small rugby school, the only player from my school in the Ireland squad. And the school coach wanted to drop me from my school team because I was difficult or something. He said, my friend found out. My friend who was the vice captain kind of said, hey, Brian, like he's actually thinking of dropping you. And I'm like, anyway, whereas then when I was in my provincial 20s team, I was captain when I was playing all Ireland League, the best club team in the country, I was vice captain. And, you know, these coaches were, were high level. And so I just found it so interesting that certain, under certain coaches, it was horrendously difficult for me to just be in the group. And on other coaches, it was like incredible. I loved it. It's interesting, hey, it's all about leadership. And, um, you know, through my journey with my son at school, I've really 
battle to support and advocate for him. And when I was doing what we do and I've set up a framework for organisations and I've ended up going, schools are an organisation and teachers are leaders and they create a space or they don't create a safe space. Um, and what I do find as well is that organisations are a lot further ahead in their thinking. You know, they're a lot more open-minded to they're still getting on board the journey with neurodiversity, but they're starting, they're wanting to look at new ways to innovate and do things better. Some of the leaders uh, or early adopters, whereas schools, um, you know, a lot of them are, you know, <laughs> be quiet, shut up, and 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 they they almost fit into that top left box. Well, they, they do actually, where they're, it's all about data, it's all about um, knowledge, and their knowledge is not just, it's not separate to them. Top left is their knowledge as their identity. And if you challenge their knowledge, whether you're asking lots of questions or not, they don't, they, they will come back at you. And if you do it too much, they will literally take you on head force. And what I see and where I challenge organizations, and I haven't done it with schools because, you know, I probably did as a child in all honesty, but you know, where, you know, if they don't like what you're asking, they'll go basically say, shut up, I'm right, you're wrong and just do your job. And that's where, you know, I like to challenge them and go, if you don't stop and look at how you do things differently, the only way you're going to improve productivity and innovation is by working your people longer and harder, which decreases employee well-being or team well-being and engagement and productivity and innovation. So it's that very old school mindset which impacts mental well-being um, is what we've noticed. You know, it's antidotally. There's no data out there. But this is what our schools are literally doing to our kids. You know, we have more rights in the workplace, um, whether it's, you know, a organisation with a building or a professional sporting organisation, than our kids do, you know, it's very much shut up and conform. And that's why there's such terrible mental well-being, because, you know, it's a hard place to be. And you can't thrive like that. And we've even spoken to professional sporting bodies who want to do, have talked about wanting to do things, but their bosses above don't get it. And what we're hearing is the players will get in trouble for being late for a meeting or don't do their homework or, you know, very top right. Um, and I say to them, you know, do they turn up with their lunch in their hand and they're probably got looking for a pen and paper um, and they're sort of blatting in and struggling, you know, a bit late. And, and then you've got the back office, all the, you know, the accounts and all these guys who are structured and black and white and they're like, you need to do this. And I'm like, if you can do their job, great, but you can't, and you don't have a job without doing their job. So how about we all actually learn to appreciate what each other brings and work together? And that's what's missing for a lot of, and it's, it's sports, it's, I've spoken to film industry, you know, um, and in the corporate space, it's, it's a lot of them, it's the same. It's the old boys running the place. Yeah. 100% and what you're saying there resonates so much too and you have absolutely like you say you have these I think accountant types who are black and white and data driven and rigid it's funny, rigid exactly and it's and that's the way school is or that's the way you need to be in school to get on well is to be able to sit down and just listen to data being thrown at you and process data and mm. it's very funny you mentioned that as well. Now, I'm just going to refer back to myself again. But I mm. find it very difficult to be on time. 
like I find it and in sports it's very important and I understand as well I do I fully appreciate that like if the bus is leaving at nine o'clock the bus is leaving at nine o'clock like I appreciate it's important or if the match is kicking off at two you have to be there early and all this stuff but like I was chatting to some of the last is like I find it easy to do a podcast I found it relatively easy to write a book I found it relatively easy to do all these different things but me being on time with clean clothes sometimes I find difficult <laughs> yeah um Absolutely. And it's your brain wiring. And it's one of those things. It's this is who we are. Um, you know, I remember when I was only diagnosed about two and a half years ago, ADHD, when, um, and it makes sense, it's genetic, and with dyslexic traits. And suddenly I was like, oh my goodness, that makes so much sense. So I was always, always got in trouble for asking too many questions or um, trying to do things differently or, um, you know, and with the good thing about when I was diagnosed and the amazing thing about working with a psych who I speak to a couple of times a week, we work together and I was able to, you know, I said something to my ex-husband and he, I went, well, that's ADHD. And he was like, well, that's an excuse. I was like, no, it's not. And I said to Anton, I was like, is that an excuse? And he's like, no, it's a fact. And it's what you do with that fact that counts. You know, so I purposely, I could not live without my phone and the alarms and my calendar reminders, you know, I have tools that helped me be successful. But then at times I, it doesn't always work like that. And the lovely thing about the clients we work with is, you know, often we do Friday or Wednesdays, we catch up with people and on Friday, you can be a bit, you know, brains a bit blah. And we go in there and we're both going, oh, and we'll actually go, look, we're actually a little bit in orange brain today. You know, we're, we're just a little bit, we're a little bit all over the show. So if we say something that doesn't make sense, please let us know. Um, and everyone go, oh, yeah, no, it's so good that we can just be ourselves with you guys. Because, you know, in so many parts of life, you have to put on this persona to fit in and not be who you may be, which is bloody hard work. You know, when you're busy and as a child, whether you're at school or at home, at work, if you're trying to be someone you're not to fit in, that burns a lot of energy before you even look at learning or performing at your best. You know, it takes away... Um, from what we call superpowers, which I know some people don't like that word, um, but it does, it detracts. It's it's unnecessary hard work, which in a more open and um, understanding and flexible environment, compassionate environment, you would, you'd be able to thrive in. Yeah, 100%. It's so difficult trying to conform. Mm. And why should we? <laughs> That's what we're all about. Why Why actually should we? You know, New Zealand's got atrocious, in many parts of the world, productivity and innovation. And it's because we recruit people who, and it's interesting what I've learned off Anton, our brain is naturally attracted to similar brains to ours. And that's why we end up recruiting people like us. And I think partially because the old days of HR was if we recruit people, you know, there was to fit the culture which is often mean be the same. But, you know, we've done, a, we did a few CEO Institute breakfasts where I said to CEOs at the table, I was like, so why do you employ the execs you do? And they're like, because we get on and we agree and it works well. And I'm like, so you will think the same. And they're like, ah. and I'm like, so you could what halve the exec and innovation wise and save how many million? And they'll sort of look at you. And then another one said, oh, but I've got all those different brains. And I went, and how's that working? He goes, oh, it's chaos. They're fighting for this and that. And, you know, and I'm like, well, you're not working as a team. 
you know, where's the safety? Where's the team set up? Where's the agreement? Where's the goals? You know, it is like everything in life. There's many elements to it. But once you start to learn it, like, you know, when you learn a skill, initially you've got to consciously focus on it. But after a while, it becomes unconscious. just takes practice, just like we have to do at the moment as neuro, neurodiverse with a big M. Yeah, big time. I, I don't know why I'm I or not. I, I, from, I suppose self-diagnose or just hearing different things. But, um, and uh, it's very interesting to say that of like, why do you hire people? I was just even chatting to a rugby player recently retired who, who signed for a super rugby team, played with a number of super rugby teams, and then they were telling him to play in a certain way. And he play in a certain way that was just completely, he had, he had, it was at the end of his career, he had never played that way. And he's like, but that's not my game. And then he was like, but why did you sign me? You know, and it's yeah. like, it's similar. It's like yep. with employees, it's like, do this. And it's like, you're tapping into about 20% of their capability. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've we've done a pilot with Tipukanga and um, it's not a, so they went through each of our programs, our Getting South, which is who am I, my strengths and challenges and triggers and how do I become more consciously aware and manage or mitigate and then getting others, which is, you know, who are the other people? What's their brain wiring? How do we bring out the best in each other? And then getting teams, which is around, you know, team development, old Tuckman's um, theory of team and Aristotle, a few things. And, you know, by the time we did the last one, one of them, um, one of the employees went, I can see across our team, we have all the different brain wiring, but we're, because we haven't all done this, we're not all maximizing it. And she said the productivity and innovation opportunities are massive if we start consciously doing this. But the challenges they've gone through so much change for so long, their their brains are, a lot of them are in survival mode. You know, they're in orange brain every day. Three or four years of change management um, being done and a lot of change management's not done well for different brain profiles. Um, so, so much lost opportunity. It's sad. Big time. And I think that's what the best sports teams or coaches do is that a couple of things on that. They, first of all, they look to understand the people that they're coaching before they look to impose their ideas and strategy and tactics on the team. So they look mm -hmm. at the people, the strengths, and they, they kind of, maybe a 50-50, but you always have your own ideas, but they, they look at that and then try to create something from there. And then also, of course, creating a psychologically safe environment, which is is obviously just huge, because as you say, there are people in survival mode, and we've all been there where we don't feel comfortable asking a question or giving our opinion, and that's just, mm. that's obviously just horrendous. Mm. Yeah, I've often referred to it as whack-a-mole. You know that game, whack-a-mole? Yeah. When we do our face-to-face -face workshops, I'm like, so what happens with whack-a-mole? And people will look at me and go, what? And I was like, well, do you whack someone on the head? What happens? And they're like, oh, you know, they'll come back up. And I'm like, how often, if you keep whacking them, will they keep coming up? And they're like, mm, no. And I'm like, why not? You know, they don't feel safe. They don't feel comfortable. I'm like, so why would we do that at work? Why would we do that to anybody? You know, I think it'd be a great game to highlight from a mental health perspective. Um, why doing, yeah, 
but again, it comes down to, this is one of Anton and my favorite topics between the school system, socially conforming society um, and, you know, top lefts because they're run by top lefts, um, you know, data minds and the same in the workplace, you know, while top lefts run the world, we think would love to start collecting the data. That's our goal. Mental well-being will always be an issue. However, if you can get a top right in there, an inspirational, um, innovative thinker who can have that foresight and think of the people, you know, not push the people, but lead the people, you know, like they follow because they want to. And then you have the top left, the controllers keeping us on track because, you know, I've for, for a few months, I was the main one with my team and I'm, I'm definitely always thinking about the next thing and they'd finish something and they'd be like, phew, it's done. And and the next heartbeat, I'll go, and guess what? Neurodiversity celebration week next year. I've got this plan. And they just look at me and go, oh, Tash, let me breathe. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm not the manager. I need to come in at the right times when they've had what they need. There's a role for both. And it's an important role for both. Um, and both needs to understand the opportunity of working together, the top left and the top right. And that's when you get some, some really... Um, inspirational things happening within a business and and a team mm. so yeah when you were saying there two things came to mind one was elon musk and yeah like <laughs> definitely like with you know all his ideas and then the other was um scott robertson at the crusaders like you know dancing and just all that and just not conforming to what a a coach should would look like I suppose 15 years ago and maybe things are changing a bit now mm. so he's having quite a different impact is he well you can see he's won seven super rugby titles in a row and it's another yep. one I had um Jed Robinson on the podcast here people want to listen back and he said that he played under Razor with Canterbury before he was a Crusaders coach and he said that he just understood everyone. He ju he had an incredible ability. Mm. Like he just knew Jed. Like Jed came in, he knew what his strengths were. He just understood him. And then I can't remember exactly. I think Jed said that he got him to do the social or the like some of the fun stuff around the team because he just knew he'd be good at that. And that was mm. what he was good at. So so that kind of understanding the people and finding their strengths. Yeah, and then and playing to them and bringing it in yeah exactly fundamental no that's it and i mean that was the conversation we had with a couple of sporting um, bodies as well where they said you know the players will go overseas and some of them just want to go to their bedroom and chill out they don't want to go out and do the social elements it's just not them it depletes them but there's an expectation that they must um and you know there's an impact with that there's you know, I've worked for an engineering business where just before I started all of this, I did a few contracts and, you know, I noticed how um, the, how KPIs can, can drive the wrong behaviours. You know, their KPI was to have client demand because they were full of top left task focused introverts. Um, if they had to have client demand, they were giving away hours because that would build demand without having to socially engage in something they're not comfortable with or they'd drink because they needed to be able to be social and they weren't naturally. Um, but the long-term impacts were 
quite significant. So, you know, again, like you say, like you spoke of the the other player needing to be someone they're not. It's um, yeah, and, and sometimes I'm not the most eloquent. It's it's batshit crazy if you ask me. It's like why be something you're not? You really have value um, to be something, but you've got to find the right space, which is um, the challenge, sadly. Yeah, and it's interesting in that I think when you say I forget was it top right or left but um the data people running the world and my experience as well is that and it's probably from conditioning because the world is i've heard it said before that the world is set up to for neurotypical people Mm. um like school classrooms uh, workplaces offices sit in the desk for eight hours a day and don't talk and don't move and just do that of course you can talk and move but um the those people then i see it regularly like um organizers will say managers within teams they see them as 100 percent correct and anyone who's not like them is just wrong and just needs to buck up and just needs to sharpen up a bit you know so it's very funny um i suppose yeah that's just i just found that interesting i saw that in the yeah, I see that quite a bit. Yeah, some there's some organisations that are starting to see the value there. Um, but it's often where we get traction. I mean, our journey, because it's such a new topic, um, especially in New Zealand, it's been a lot around educating for the last couple of years. Um, and the, co- the people we get traction with is where they have a connection with neurodiversity, whether it's a child or a family member or, a, you know, um, or a very good friend they don't people don't realize what it's and I mean I have to say I knew nothing about any of this nine years ago before we started the journey with my son um so where we do we were starting to see people interested in inclusion and maximizing and they see the value they see the hard journey of the school system which sadly our children neurodiverse children with the big end they start suicidal ideation from the age of seven or eight um, and they actually tend to start hurting themselves from the age of about 10 or 11. I mean, my son, he was suicidal at the age of 10 in a decile teen school in Auckland with me heavily advocating from him. And he was just naughty, annoying, bad, wrong. Um, and the kids pick up on it, you know, in the classroom and take it out to the playground. So, you know, there's no reprieve. And it's, yeah, it's, so it's, it's families who have been through that and seen that while seeing the opportunities that this the capital end can bring that's where we're starting to get traction which is awesome but it's still quite rare and so what was the journey with your son um so my son at about four and a half his behavior really majorly changed at daycare and we couldn't well it was probably four and we weren't really told anything and uh Sadly, it was his best friends at daycare's mum rang me one day and said, your son's a bully and you've, you've got to stop this. And I was like, what the hell? You know, what? where's this come from? Why am I hearing it from you? Why am I only just hearing it from you when you're that angry? And, um, and why have I not heard this from the daycare? So I ended up in and out of there asking lots of questions and becoming very annoying um, because, yeah, they, they, yeah it, was, it was crazy. 
And so in the end, I knew his behavior just escalated and I didn't know, couldn't work out what it was. And neither, I remember being at the doctors and he just lost it and he was all over, he was everywhere. And my younger one was following him. It was chaos and he was playing with taps and drawing on my boots. And I broke down and said to the, and the doctor went, whoa. And I was like, is this normal? And she said, no, it's not. And I was like, so what do I do? Like, you're the first person who's seen it. Everyone else would just go, oh, it's just boy behavior, typical boys. It's like, no, it's not. Um, and that was when she went, well, here's a psychiatrist, a child psychiatrist card. And I said, is he any good? And she goes, I don't know, but it's the only one I've heard of. Um, and we went through the journey of trying to get, well, you know, is this what he needs to do? What is it? And yeah three and a half grand later and nine months of them and pediatrician they went oh he's they say he's um def he's definitely Asperger's was the word they use which some people don't like so autistic um and possibly ADHD as he was crawling around all over the show uncontrollable um and that's where our journey started so then it was a case of going I remember when we went to pediatrician because he did the medication the psychologist can't and he said, you know, you've got two options. Um, you either medicate or you manage and help change behavior. And I remember thinking, I'm a coach. I'm a qualified, internationally qualified coach. So I remember thinking, I've worked with adults who struggle to change, let alone a five-year-old about to go into a new school, this new environment. So with all the guilt that goes on out there with medicating children and all this, we went, oh, no, we shouldn't do that. And he did really well for the first few weeks because it was a novelty and um, then it was actually the holidays and he went back in a couple of weeks and then it just turned to shit. Um, he just, you know, sits still quietly across, your, you know, all those things that you've described, confused as a, as a child just entering. Um, and yeah, it wasn't, it was hard to get diagnosis um, and it was hard to find good information. I mean, my background's training and coaching. I like good information. And it wasn't very easy to find. And um, I actually stopped looking after a while because it, it was, I couldn't get any, I wasn't able to find helpful help. And I just kind of buried myself for a while trying to get through it and see what happened next. Um, and sadly, I hear Autism New Zealand, I think, did um, some research about two or three years back on families and their journey. And sadly, it hasn't changed at all in New Zealand, which is pretty disgusting. So he's, and it's still every, every day, every week, something new. Um, he got assaulted twice at the end, not last, not last week, but last term, you know, first year in college, he stuffed up on social media. Someone called him stupid to the autistic brain. That's as bad as being called fat and ugly, which he did back. And then the next week he had one kid shove him around the field for a couple of minutes and punch him in the back of the head three times. And a school that teaches what to do with bullying and the, someone videoed it and all these kids walked past and nobody did anything. It's batshit crazy. And all these schools tell me they know what they're doing and I've offered to do free courses for all of them and they all tell me they know what they're doing and I'm like, far out, he's been suicidal and now he's getting assaulted and you tell me you know what you're doing? <laughs> it's not working for him and many other children I hear about. Yeah, that's awful, sorry to hear. Mm, and, thank you. And like, is there, like, what can schools do for, like, say, kids 
yeah like neurodivergent kids and just once it like just my own experience like i remember just not wanting to be there and just waiting looking outside at the grass and just waiting to get outside to play play sport and waiting to get outside at lunchtime to kick football and like then i'd just be talking to my friends get isolated out of my own at the back of the class at a desk of my own so that i couldn't yep. talk to anyone and i wasn't my experience wasn't that bad like but i just remember being like this is horrendous this is this is shite that we have to be sitting in here and that we can't be outside playing and obviously your son has just had an awful experience and just there's people on a huge spectrum but i don't know i've heard then sorry a friend of mine is a primary school teacher in wales and i was chatting to him a year ago six months ago and he was just starting out and i i'm pretty sure he said that they're they allow kids to go outside and run around and i think that's a very positive step yeah some schools do my youngest um it's up to, it's the teacher um because the the principals take a very um hands-off approach we did try to get in front of the secondary school principal association for their conference earlier in the year and the feedback we got was or maybe you should talk to the teachers. They're more in contact with them. And I just wanted to go back and say that's the most appalling leadership I've ever heard. What what you don't, you know, unless you, unless you, what is it? What's the phrase? Um, <clears throat> what you look at gets done. That's not the right way of putting it. But if you leave it to the teachers, they've got enough on their plate. Um, it, it's a whole, it's, it's, a, it's an environmental choice. You know, when we do programs, it's everyone needs to understand it. It's the same with schools. You know, some schools are very good at now looking at gender or nationality, <clears throat> but they're not interested in hearing about neurodiversity. None of them. One is Oraki Primary School. They want to do a um, pilot incubator with us. They're just struggling for funding. Um, and we're looking, you know, we're doing it at the best rate we can. Um, but they just, I spoke to them last week and they're about to have some financial cuts. So they're going to be in even less of a position to be able to do something. And really in the school, it's about having them, it's the way they're teaching. And I gather at, when they go to teacher's college, they get taught what to teach, not how to teach. And from some of what we're seeing, a lot of teachers sit in what we refer to as bottom right. So they're impasse, they care, they want the kids to be successful. But that doesn't mean they're necessarily good at managing and structuring a classroom. And that, when you consider the size of the classrooms these days, um, and the admin involved for them, it's it's can be tough. But like we've worked with ECHO, the Electrical Apprenticeship Training Organisation, the electrical, um, and Jeremy, the past CEO, he was very passionate about neurodiversity, and he said, you know, our school system's letting our kids down, and we went, it is but you're teaching the same way. So we've worked with them for the last three years to help them look at, you know, to realize their own journey and experience as, as kids in the classroom. And then also look at how their brains work. And most of them are actually neurodiverse, particularly because what we've heard quite a bit of is if the schools aren't succeeding academically for the government, what they apparently do is some of them will push kids at, when they're old enough into an apprenticeship because otherwise they'll fail the academic needs of the government's driving. So this whole ecosystem is driving the wrong behaviours. You know, they get ignored and told they're dumb or stupid or annoying. 
um, because they're being taught in one style, like you say, and then they get pushed into apprenticeships, which most of them teach the same way. And then they go out and, you know, be apprentices where the old boys are like, well, this is how we were treated. So this is how they get treated. And you're like, and we wonder why we've got a bad mental health in the construction industry. This, I think, would be a factor. I'd love to see someone do some data on it. I have spoken to um, mates in construction about maybe considering it, which they've talked about maybe doing it. I think there would be a, a direct correlation. And with sport too, I, I think, you know, I would say most sporty people, most people who have achieved highly in sport uh, sit in that top right quadrant, ADHD, ADD, dyslexia, where they, with my diagnosis, I've learned that, how I learn best is when I'm actually doing it. So I've created a framework and I've got the outline for it, but I actually need needed to have the first organization do it so that I could work out all the intricacies of it. Um, and then I can do it really well. And it's the same when you're, you know, when you're on a field or, and most um, ADHD people do tend to be sports or and vice versa, because they're, they're doers, they're thinkers as they go, they're quite intuitive. Um, and you see that, you know, that ability to pick up on spaces and, you know, thinking on the go, it's, it's, it's amazing, but that doesn't suit in the classroom or uh, in the workplace a lot of the time. And yet we have these fast moving world environment we live in where we actually need to start responding a bit more quickly and pivoting with the data, but with the flexibility and creativity and innovation. So it's a combined importance. Absolutely. And it's so true what you're saying there about sports and where I was thinking it and then you said it, intuition. And mm. that's the main area I work in is with athletes. And you have to use your intuition and trust your gut and play mm. on instinct if you want to be the best version of you, if you want to perform mm. well. And there's things are at odds here because then you have some coaches, mainly old school coaches, I'll say, which are still very prevalent, unfortunately, in that they'll yeah. tell you, this is the system. This is where you must stand. This is what you must do. This is how you must play. And they're just, I remember playing about three years ago before I had stopped playing in a, uh, an environment like that. And I was just like, I said to my friend, I was just like, I'm not doing it. And like, I was, it was, I was playing at a lower level and I was just like, I'm not doing it. Like, I'm not just standing here and doing these two options, you know, pass here, pass there or carry it. It's like, no, like, cause you have to, yeah. The best players, you see it all the time. They read, they do things. They just, yeah. They, and I'm not saying I'm the best player, but you just see it at the top level and look at the world cup. Now the likes of Finn Russell, Antoine Dupont, all these guys, like they, they do incredible things and they do things that you can't as a coach, you can create, you can set them up for success, but you can't say when you're in this position, do this, you know, mm. the things that they do are just like you say, intuition. Mm, absolutely. And that, and that's why that can be so much, the results can be so much bigger because of the opportunity. But um, yeah. Again, it's the other, it's the environment and the, and, you know, and the people in the environment.
Yeah. And what are some of the, you mentioned like courses or things that you do with workplaces and say, what, what would typically some of the things you do with them? Um, so we've we've set up an, um, a tick for organisations to do so that um, where they do a stop take, they look at the different systems and processes and how, and if, you know, neurodiverse friendly it is. Um, they do create a roadmap and a plan, you know, now that they know where they want to get to, here's how we're going to get there. And um, the one at the moment, the introduction to neurodiversity awareness, that one goes down really well as a starting point because a lot of people don't know what neurodiversity is so they get introduction to that and the chats online you know we'd usually do it in a webinar and get them to share and you've got people diagnosing themselves during it you've got people diagnosing each other during you know it's very safe and um inclusive and then yeah so getting out uh, we've got the getting got series the getting self is who am i what are my strengths and triggers strengths and challenges and triggers most people don't know what their strengths are you know it's funny we get hired based on strengths for whether it's sport or work or whichever type of work actually i guess sorry and then but usually we get fed back on our deficits so it's bloody hard work um so i love seeing people learn what their strengths are because they think they're normal and they aren't for everyone um and then we look at how can you manage or mitigate your challenges because we've all got them so how do we manage or mitigate them? And then as a when we get through to the team's point, we look at who is in the team and how do we complement each other and recognize each other's strengths and challenges safely. Um, and the getting others is, yeah, picking up on someone else's language or vocabulary to see what, what quadrant they might fit into and what they need from you. And then getting teams. Um, as well as we actually have just started an ADHD. Um, ADHD is my passion because it's so, we're about 5% of the population, twice as much as autism. But autism, because they're facts, figures, data, information, they're very good at advocating and getting support. So I'm very keen to focus on the ADHD area. Um, so we did we did an intro webinar recently and we had a huge turnout, which was exciting. And next month is near is uh, ADHD and Dyslexia Awareness Month. I'm not such a fan of the word awareness because I can be aware that there's a tree there, but it doesn't mean I know anything about that tree or how to look after that tree. Um, so we're calling it Celebration Month. And um, we've got a range of uh, people that we're talking to. Hopefully Carl, uh, Carl is it, uh, from Gallagher, Carl Beth, Bethlehem. I'm terrible with names. Um, he's very yeah to sport and because uh, he's ADHD and uh, who else? We there's a few people we're talking to, um, as well as offering some information because ADHD ADHD is one of the most one of the most undiagnosed. Like whenever I'm in something, I'll say like a panel conversation. I'll say if your school report says Natasha would do better if she focused in class, if you've been fed and had a good night's sleep, most children do not go to school to misbehave that's to not listen it's a case of they can't listen it's how their brain's wired um and a lot of people go oh my goodness i think that's me you've just described me <laughs> including i met a lovely 15 year old girl on the weekend who you know good her parents are good friends of mine and she just described how in class and mass she just zones out she just can't focus and and so i'm like oh my goodness you actually really do need some medication's not for everybody but it has changed my life i'm on 
um, medication like my son and it helps me focus. And with her, if she was on diagnosed on medication, I think she would be able to at least survive in the school system. So I'm going to try and help her with that. But instead, she asked her teacher three times because she didn't understand what she needed to do for the test. And she still didn't get it, so she just left it and she failed. And that's really sad. So then she's got her parents on her who have very high expectations. Um, and she feels like she's in an absolute no-win situation. That's what, and that's my reason for the business. The sole reason I wanted to set this up is for my son to be able to be in a school environment where he can thrive and <laughs> outlive me, not want to kill himself. And then, which I've almost given up on, um, the school place isn't better and they're open to listening. But at least now I know working with the organisations we're working with, by the time he gets to that point, I, I'm hoping he'll be able to find somewhere where he can really thrive and make a difference because he's a clever dick. You wouldn't know he's ADHD autistic when he's on his meds. It's his ADHD that that is, you know, his ADHD is in the morning if he's got football or um, a maths exam or something, he's a maths geek. He will literally gallop through the house like a greyhound until he has his meds. So, you know, that's that's his, that's his what bugs teachers is his chatter years. He needs, yeah, his challenge to focus on things that are not of interest to him. And that's very ADHD, ADD. It's not that we can't focus. We, we can't focus on things we don't like. The things we like and we are interested in, we can focus for hours and days. And, you know, I see you smile. I see you get that. Yeah. Oh, that's... Yeah, I'm going to ask you next about um, diagnosed. You mentioned that are people diagnosing each other and all that and that. But just another one now. It's like I could watch back to back rugby games and break them down and give reports and do this and that and like spend five hours at it and write 10 pages of notes. But if you put me in a geography class talking about oxbow lakes or the mountains or rock soil or this carry on that I had to be in. Yeah had to do in school I couldn't listen for 30 seconds it wasn't possible yeah. it was not it was you you get it like it was so not yeah. possible yet mm. like I you know could listen to you talk about this all day I could you know just things I'm interested in it's so funny it's so funny and that's the thing you know if, if the school environment could cover data data structure connection and doing and kids could do things within topics that were specifically of interest within that topic, then they'll thrive. It's it's that interest piece. Um, and I mean, and because we say, you know, New Zealand doesn't collect data, sadly, on how many neurodiverse with a capital N there are. Um, but in the UK, they say 20% are diagnosed um, with labels, and they, they say you'd easily double that. So you're looking approximately 40% of the population has strong neurodiverse traits, and society is still set up for 60. And they are missing out on these superpowers. Like you say, if you can spend five hours, I mean, if you can spend, what was it? You said write 10 page, 10 page report? Oh, yeah, easily. Could like you do I'm... that on, um, geog on geography? How long, how much of a report would you write? No, it's hell. It's hell. Yeah. And that's like school was hell. I loved business, loved economics. I enjoyed English writing essays. And then the other one's biology. Like I remember getting, I'd get kicked out within two minutes. Sometimes I wouldn't say anything. He'd just go get out. And I'd be like, grand. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I'd just leave. Yeah. And 
Whereas rugby, like I genuinely, and I do it, like I'll watch games and I do that. I share content online, off-field rugby. And like I break down, I just love doing it. I look at the games, mm-hmm. I break it down, the opportunities, the missed opportunities, why it worked, all this stuff, because then I can relate to the players I coach. And um, I just love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's interesting. So, and I think you said it earlier. There's two parts of that. There, you're you're looking at the whole system. You sound like you're a big picture person, and you described earlier when mm. you had coaches who weren't quite so helpful. When you ask questions, you top right. I need the context. If someone, and that's where it's challenging sometimes. If someone will ask me a question, and I'm I'll I'll feel I have to give the context, and so that I can answer the question. Otherwise, I can't actually do it. And sometimes I can see people zone out going, because you just get to the point. Um, and so there are different brains, like you say, if that coach had a giving you the context, because one of the things that Anton and I particularly love is when you understand the why you do something, then it's motivating. Rather than just going, you must do this. It's like, well, to some people that's okay, you know, a little or neurotypical. But for the rest of us, I want to know the context so that I can almost know what I can and can't do. You know, how can I break the boundaries? What what do I need to do to keep in your good books and safe while doing what makes, what rocks my world and where I can actually have some creative ability and enjoy this? That's the moments that I get the most out of. But they're rare for so many people, which is sad. Yeah. And I think a lot of it comes from insecure leaders will say so be it sports coaches be it managers in a business a corporate environment or teachers i think a lot of it comes from insecurity and they feel like they're being challenged and whereas like the most common for me is if the coach said hey we're we're doing this defensive drill i'd be like why are we doing this and I just wanted to hear his rationale as to if we're doing an Mm. up and out defense, I want him to explain why we're doing an up and out defense so that I can understand Mm. it at a deeper level. So then when I go and do it, I understand it deeper and I can, I can be better because I can just be in the moment because I know it intuitively. Whereas if you're just Mm -hmm. telling me to stand on this cone and run up here and, and over here, it's like, I, it's so, it doesn't make sense to me. Like I need to know more. So I just want them to say, oh, we're doing this because if we push up and then push them to the sideline, we'll put them out of play and we can hunt from the inside and then we can get a tackle and jackal and we can put pressure on them that way and just give his reasons. And not even that, I I wasn't saying to want a challenge, you know, and then sometimes, of course, every now and again, I'd say, oh, why? And they'd give a reason. I go, well, could we not do it this way because of X, Y, Z? And as I said, like two coaches, I two or probably two maybe three Mike Rodick, Nigel Carlin and probably Brett Igo when I was under 15 like would yeah like they were all ears and we would chat Mm. at length and then they would bring in stuff that I think and then they would say no I don't agree with that I don't think that'll work Brian cool all good you know whereas then others they just yeah to be shut up and get on with it so they're very top left, whereas it sounded like your others were top right and they had the confidence and the skill. And so, as I said, top left are about identity and don't challenge me. Whereas, you know, and because they, it is such a managed, controlled way of getting there, it's very output focused. It's not process or person. Whereas there's a, yeah, I guess it can be concerning to lose control. And if you don't have that natural um 
what what was it in, intent? No, what were you saying? Well, if you it's living, it's knowing the rules, knowing the outcome, and then living in the moment to go where it works well. If they can't do that, then yeah, they literally some of them probably literally can't. Like some top left autistic brains, if you said imagine this in your head, in your mind, they actually aren't able to. They can't visualize. I've come across that. So um, yeah, there's absolute power in what you've described. Because the conversation doesn't have to be that I'm disagreeing, but that's not how a top left would see it. Mm. And it's, I think, another one, uh, this is a bit of a side point, but for any coaches, any actually, any managers, anyone actually, if you're ever going to explain something, say something, make someone do something, you need to know it inside out, back to front, because you can see it from a mile away. And this could be in a workplace or it could be in a sports team or anywhere when someone, they don't know what they're talking about, you know, and you just, you can mm -hmm. see it. You're like, they don't know what they're talking about here. They're telling me to do this because they heard it from someone and they don't know mm. it. Yeah. Yeah. And then they definitely don't want someone who's going to ask questions because they can't answer them. Yeah. And no, I've had a boss like that. It was contracting. And I was lucky enough that I'd gone elsewhere within the business to do the same thing. So when she tried to nail me and say, you haven't done what you were brought in for, I was like, I asked you for your strategy so I could help make it happen. And she couldn't answer that question, which is why I wasn't able to make it happen. I didn't know the context or the parameter. And I went elsewhere where they were interested and we did amazing things. And I was able to go, well, I did it here. The reason I couldn't do it here was because you didn't know what you wanted and you wouldn't listen. But that didn't go down very well because she was just top left. So she got rid of me. And she keeps, she continues to have the same sheep turn up and follow. Um, and surprisingly, she gets away with it. But she works in a very top left, a very data focused organization. So it's, it's, it's sad. But she has the churn, which is crazy, of people and mental well being challenges. So no, I mean, I know where I'd much rather work any, every day. Um, and I remember actually when we when we did the launch of Neurodiversity Celebration Week, we had Peter Leach on the um, first conversation and he was kind enough to share, um, you know, we were asking, wanted to hear about successes of neurodiverse um, people and, and, you know, how did, how was his journey? And he said it was, he hated school. He said it was really awful until I had this one teacher and she just heard me, she saw me, and we we got each other, and that's where the magic happened. And he said, had it not been for her, you know, I I you know, I was struggling before that, and I don't know that I'd be where I am today. So, you know, it's that ability to stop and look. And I think it's one of the things that frustrates me a lot with society. You know, people comment on behaviors all the time. And I'm like, what is driving that behavior? You know, if that player on the field is behaving that way, what's driving that? Is it the environment? Is it the team? Is it something going on at home? There is always a good reason for what's going on. And for that person, it's it's functional. But for you, it may not seem. But when you can actually find out, like there's a lot of these different neurodiversities or disorders get labelled incorrectly because they only look at the behaviour. PTSD apparently and ADHD can get uh, can look the same. 
that ADHD is an away movement, it's an energy movement, where, well, it's an energy movement, it's a, whereas PTSD is a wanting to get away from a situation, but it can show us the same characteristics. And diagnosed wrongly can have a massive impact on someone's mental well-being. So there's a real opportunity to stop and look at the people around us and how we can bring out the best and slow down and live more in the moment. But it's challenging with the environment, the world, you know, where things are in the world at the moment. Yeah, that's um, a brilliant point you make about slowing down and live in the moment. And because when you, yeah, because that will help helps you understand people and not be so rash and not be so, like you say, someone doesn't do something that fits the way you've been conditioned to think the world should be and how everyone should act. And then you speak out against where you, you know, you just act rashly. Whereas if you, like you say, slow down, be in the moment, relax, chill out. Well, that just, that would help <laughs> help you a lot and it would help lots of different things but also how you interact with others and mm. understand others and get the best out of others and all that like once again i'm just thinking from a coaching framework or from being a coach on, on the grass and that's something that's so so important is you have to be able to kind of step back a bit and just be be present and and observe and see the people versus yeah being in your head so much totally and communication because you know part of that is what is it they're saying um the biggest myth of communication is assuming it's happened um and we one of the pitches we use like when you, you were saying before around um when people looking at the way people are responding in our in our um webinars even we use that picture that duck rabbit uh, line drawing have you ever seen that sometimes people use the young lady old lady i've seen the, and lady, we, the old lady yeah and we we use that where we go what do you see and just tell us what you see you know southern cross we had 250 people online going duck rabbit seagull line drawing um and and we go yeah and that's one picture that everybody can see in such a different way and then i'll always say Imagine if that was a 10-page report or project and you've got how many people on a project having a duck, rabbit, seagull, pencil drawing um, and then we wonder why we end up, you know, and that and it actually becomes a really good vocabulary as well. When If you have an interaction with someone, I had it with a contractor where I asked her to do something with a, temp, with a presentation and what she did was so different than what I thought I'd asked and I only saw it half an hour before I had to present it and I was like holy shit so I went into survival mode what do I do and then afterwards went back to her and went once I my heart rate had gone down and went did we just have a duck rabbit conversation and she went and she actually blew a sigh of relief and went yes I think we did instead of going you're a bloody idiot how did you do that we saw them completely different and it happens every day in every way you know, I look at all the stuff, all these things going out in the community where kids are doing crazy shit and ram raids, and I'm like, some of these things, these things out there, there's a reason for why they're doing what they're doing. Sure, let's manage that end of it, but let's start doing some more proactive looking at, stop, let's not 
get them into that position in the first place. Intergenerational stuff is really big, especially when you add neurodiversity with the big N in it. I'm lucky. I know I'm so lucky that I've taken this as a passion to learn after four years of putting my head in the sand and working with someone who's helping. Every day we create stuff. I'm creating stuff that helps me. I'm so lucky to be where I am. I love it. And I love help seeing people learn and grow in the process and start to see themselves differently and see their strengths differently and others. And there's so much opportunity out there for it. And you guys are already doing it on the field, the good coaches. That's why when you reached out, I was like, oh my God, we've had this conversation. You wouldn't put a whole lot of blooming, and I'm not a huge sports person, you know, but a whole lot of forwards in a team, would you? You wouldn't have a whole team of forwards. Well, there's organizations that are just about like that. <laughs> like, seriously, it's crazy. And then they wonder why, yeah, they're not, they're not moving forward. They're not getting into different areas because it's the same thing. Mm. Yeah. And there was one thing you mentioned there, oh, which was interesting with the duck rabbit or what do you see? And that's something I just want to tie back again to sports coaching in that. And once again, same with an office or corporate or your example, it's the exact same thing. But the way that translates to sports coaching is when you're coaching people and it's, it's challenging you 30 people on the grass and someone does something that doesn't that you think is wrong or in it you're the first instinct is oh they shouldn't have done that you need to try to understand what they have seen and why they have made that decision and i use the language there specifically but not you need to ask them what did they see because a big thing in sports coach as well is sports coaches will hear oh ask the player a question but they're asking a question. They, they're not looking for the answer. They're not looking to understand. They're just, they heard on a, on a podcast or on a coaching course to ask questions. So they ask questions, but it's still there where the highway is just, or then they just give you what they think. So it's, you need to seek to understand what that person saw, did, why they did it. And there's a very good chance and just going back, uh, chat with Brian Ashton, who, was the England coach when they got to the final in 07. And he was he was all about this. First, just telling players what to do. Um, and I'm just conscious I mentioned it, but would you could you chat about the diagnosing and like understanding? Because as I said, myself, I just have been learning about this in the last two years and um the last two years and then reading more hearing more about it and hearing other people talk about their experiences and then i suppose my self-awareness has been developing a lot of the last same time three four years and i've just been like you say i've been thinking back like oh i was like that in school oh i was like that thing oh so yeah chat to me a little bit about the diagnosis the process or how well it works or what part yeah, I suppose for someone listening who may be kind of thinking, oh, that sounds a bit like me, like I, I might be neurodivergent. Yeah, um, it's, um, it's not an easy journey. Um, we, we are majorly under um, resource in New Zealand for psychiatrists. So psychiatrists can diagnose and they can do the medication, whereas psychologists can diagnose, but they can't do the medication. And they, 
from from what I understand at the moment, it costs a lot more to go through a psychologist because they've got to write a whole lot of reports for the psychologist, no, psychologist for the psychiatrist, so that you can then go and get your medication. We do have on our website. We're just putting on actually um, just a really short, easy eight or 10 questions to sort of help you identify what quadrant you might sit in. It's not a diagnostic tool, but then if people want to go further and learn more, it's helpful. Um, but it depends on what, uh, and I mean, this is why we've set our business up around neurodiversity to be umbrella, because there's a lot of comorbidity, people use the word overlap, don't like the comorbidity so much. Um, and the challenge is when you go to someone, they might only cover one area, <laughs> so I'm not selling it well. Um, it's pretty, pretty bad. But Anton does also like a soft diagnosis. People can, there's a couple of people out there who do that. We can have a one-on-one. -on -one. Um, he'll help you work out whether you've got strongest traits that might be worth going to be diagnosed. Because um, it sort of starts from about 900 upwards for diagnosis, right through, I've heard, three and a half grand in Dunedin. Because they go through that psychologist first. And they don't realise that they don't have to do it that way. Um, and then, and then wait lists take a while. Even the private uh, private system can take three to twelve months. I'd probably say more six to get in front of someone. Um, so it's a um, but ADHD New Zealand also have on their website, you know, tests of you know whether you would be or not, or you're likely to be. Um, and then after that, it's it's the support's quite challenging too. Which again is my goal is to do education and community programs so that people can get, you know, how their brain thinks, why they think the way they do, um, and how they can uh, thrive. And I haven't come across anyone else who does that with the not-for-profits, which is why we're doing it. But I have also heard there's a lot changing at the moment. I've heard a lot of psychiatrists are getting in, um, being reviewed because there's an expectation that they, as professionals, they will upskill regularly, and a lot of them aren't which isn't um, okay. And uh, ADHD New Zealand is actually doing some amazing work um, looking at linking up with um, one of the ADHD Australian organised not-for-profits and wanting to, trying to get it across the line with government to bring in their guidelines, which are the newest in the world and they're, they're very good. So ADHD New Zealand is doing some amazing stuff. However, they're also uh, it's all funding and they are struggling financially too. So we're also looking at ways we can be supporting them with what we do because their work's important. So yeah, New Zealand, I mean, and in places like the US and the UK, it's part of legislation to have, um, you know, neurodiverse policies and processes and things like that. So we're quite a way behind in New Zealand. But um, there's work being done, which is good news. Yeah. I don't know how helpful it is. It, it's um, I I find it. And do you know? Do you know the most ridiculous thing is once you are diagnosed, every two years you have to go and be re-diagnosed by your psychiatrist, which costs about five six hundred bucks, to prove that your brain wiring hasn't changed to neurotypical normal, so that you can get um medication that you need. How's that for ridiculous? <laughs> and it's just government policy you know nobody stopped and I gather that um, MOE didn't even acknowledge neurodiversity until this dec this century and not that long into the century so it's pretty archaic out there 
Yeah, there's probably some someone who is uh, on the psychiatry board who is good at chatting to the government to say, hey, put this thing in where every two years they got to come back and pay another 500. Oh, there's so much. I mean, a, autism gets, if you're autistic, you get a, a disability allowance, which is great because, you know, all these different specialists cost money, but ADHD doesn't. And our medication costs you know, a script. And if you don't go to chemist warehouse, like go to the doctor for a script. And then if you don't go to chemist warehouse, then you've got to pay for it. So you can pay 50 bucks a month and it's genetic. It'd be the whole family. And there's no um, disability allowance for, for, yeah, it's just, it's just autism. It's batshit crazy. It's one of my phrases. So I don't swear it's, it is insane. So there's, there's lots of crazy stuff still going on out there, but there's people working harder on it and, having opportunities to speak to you like this on the topic is this is that my overarching goal is to get out there and do a whole lot of more advocacy on it and change the perception, flip the stigma. Organizations are missing out on a, a trick. And I mean, it sounds like there's intuitively some of it going on in sport, but again, it's, I think if they really, yeah, if we went down this path, we could be so much more powerful in so many ways. And what is good for the neurodiverse with the big N is good for the little N or neurotypical, whether it's sport or work or the community, it improves mental well-being. So it's a bit of a no-brainer. It's just getting them to listen. So yeah. But I highly recommend it. If if you or anyone thinks they are, for me it was life-changing. Uh, there's certain things I you know I suck at filling out forms. I I can be clumsy. I'm so forgetful, you know, on a, on a, <laughs> people will sometimes say to me, how did you pick up on it? And I'll be like, did you ever try to go and put the washing on? And it took you half an hour to get there. Cause you went through, you passed your kids rooms and you went, oh shit, I'll grab that. And then you went, oh, I'll just tie yeah. that up. And then you're like, where am I going? And then you get there and it takes, that is ADHD. Why am, I, is... Here? Why am I here? What am I doing? Uh, yes. Okay. What do I come in this room yeah. for? That, what was that? And that's what for me, and it's not for everyone, but for me, the medication helps me bring in my focus. Um, and it, in this world where I'm on tabs and multitasking, and there's no such thing as multitasking, Anton can tell you this, it's really cool. Um, it, you get distracted too easily. So I can tell by about 10, 30, 11, if I've forgotten my meds, um, because I start getting anxiety because I'm not getting through stuff. And my son who's very ADHD. I'm, I'm your kind of a little bit restless, a little bit naughty. <laughs> he, for, his father forgot to give him medication last week and he walked into class after lunch break and he said some extremely inappropriate things, but his brain, the medication helps us filter and no filters were on. And I can't say what, I won't say what he said, but he got into a whole lot of trouble and then got stood down because he wasn't on the medication to help him focus. It's interesting, the Australian um, new guidelines that, that have come out have said, to work with ADHD, you need the medication to help you to be able to focus and learn, and then you can work on what it is you wanna work on. But if you just try to work on your behaviors and your skills without your brain being focused with the medication, and it's the right medication, obviously, but the medication, there's a, there's a lot less chance of you actually being able to be successful in the way you'd like to. 
And I also think those who aren't diagnosed, there's a lot of adults out there or teenagers who haven't been diagnosed. And it's one of the things I say if friends or someone say, could you talk to my team? And if I can't tell, obviously I'll go to them, have you ever done speed? And my friends will go, Ugh. and I'll go, and does it help you focus? And they'll go, yeah. And I'm like, you're ADHD. I take speed. That's mm. what helps me focus. R yeah, Ritalin and because. Uh, yeah, Concerta. Yeah. I take Concerta. You always start on Ritalin. And that's a, t that's a tip. If you do go to get um, diagnosed, they will always start you on the Ritalin. If it doesn't feel like it's strong enough or working well enough, keep pushing them because Concerta or these other ones, I've only been on Concerta and my son, they're almost like better qualities. I'd describe them as a difference between a pair of cheap glasses and a pair of good glasses. But it depends on your weight and your size and everything. But um, And the other thing is anxiety. Always look at the anxiety. There's a lot of anxiety that comes from living in a world that's not set up for you and being told you must conform to fit in. Um, don't underestimate the anxiety. And it's not necessarily come from their brain wiring. It's come from their experience and their journey which is sad. So yeah, diagnosis is, it's, a, it's fantastic. It's helped me find. And actually one last thing to say though, when we did neurodiversity celebration week, we had a apprentice and she was gay and neurodiverse. And she actually shared it was harder to come out as neurodiverse than it is to come out as gay in New Zealand. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. Although, yeah, it, that is interesting that you said that. And it's funny, I listen to, there's a guy called Blind Boy from Ireland who has a massive podcast, like I think 5 million plus downloads he mentioned six months ago, Blind Boy. And he was um, a singer, songwriter, kind of a, yeah, singer, songwriter, and then has written books, short stories. I got one of the books uh, a couple of years ago and he has this podcast. You'd actually, you'd enjoy it. His, he tells these like mad hot takes, he calls them where he'll go into like the history of tennis balls or like just mad stuff and relate things. Like he'll join loads of dots. Mm -hmm. And he said about two years ago that someone who listened to the podcast wrote to him and said, blind boy you're probably possibly neurodiverse like it could be cool for you to get checked out or whatever and he went and did it got checked out or got diagnosed and he is he's autistic he said um i forget but he was the first person who i heard speaking about neurodiverse no probably not the first but he was someone who speaks a lot about it and so i was like oh yeah that's me mm -hmm. that's me it's very funny. He also, about five years ago, was talking about his mental health because his schooling experience was horrendous. Failed, he failed his high school, like the lowest you can get. Like didn't even get his in Ireland we call it leaving cert, didn't get it. And was couldn't school was horrendous, horrendous. And now he's like, You talk about successful, like man, like it's it's wild. Like and he's he's mm -hmm. done it in many different artistic genres, we'll say like sing, singing songwriting writing books and podcasting and anyway so yeah i heard him talk about it and he he could not do what he's doing if he wasn't neurodiverse it's obvious like it's it, that's mm. why he's doing what he's doing like he's and it's it's wild how how good he is at it and it's 
that allowed me to, I kind of stopped and kind of thought about myself. He was talking about his experiences in school. He was talking about all these different experiences he's had. And he's like, it all makes sense now because da, 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 da. And I was like, that's like, that's me. And I, I get, I get it. Well, like some of it. And then the understanding is really good. Once again, I haven't been mm-hmm. diagnosed. I don't know, but understanding is really good because it then allows you to be like, I don't need to try and fit into an office. I don't need to try and get another job in an office and sit at a desk and hate my life and say that this is what life is about, Brian. And just forget about that. And you mentioned earlier superpowers. And that's something in general everyone should be aware of, but what you're good at. And that's then when I just was like, I'm just going to double down on what I'm good at. I'm just going to do what I'm good at. And I'm just going to go for it. And yeah, it's it's challenging. And of course, it's challenging. It, every, I suppose everything in life is challenging. That's not a deterrent. But just understanding yourself more, like you mentioned then about anxiety, like like mental health. Like me, if I were, I had jobs in offices, like me going into an office, just like, bad for my mental health i'm just like i would hate it i'd just be i hate it i'd be going to the toilet to go on my phone i'd be like messaging people hey do you want to get a coffee like to try and sneak up for a quick five minute chat 40 minutes later another five minute chat and so yeah i think just understanding yourself and it's um it's huge and and understand what your superpowers are and, and sticking to those yeah, and how you thrive. You know, an autistic brain doesn't want to be in the office either. It doesn't want to be around other people, just wants to, the quiet and the focus. And it's understanding while you might not be at your desk or in the office, you might be out for coffees. When you are there, um, what what they will get out of that brain doing what they do well, they'll normally achieve much higher than than the, the neurotypical normal. You know, that's what they don't get. You know, I think it's J.P. Morgan Chase did some, so there's very little data research out there, but they employed some autistic brains for anal, you know, analyst roles. While I like the fact they employed autistic brains, it feels like it's um, exploitation. You know, they don't teach people, but that aside. And they found that these autistic brains learnt in half the time when there's good systems and processes in place. And I think they're about 92% more productive than... Um, neurotypical you know all-rounders but when we might force them into the office and often put IT help desk in somewhere really central and easy to access we kill them because they've got people coming at you don't you see them and they go oh my god don't come near me um and then we have these chatterboxes having to sit and conform what was it someone oh Anton was working with someone um who was bipolar and the business was really this particular person's business was not open to it. So she would say, come on, I'm bored. I could do so much more. And the manager was going, no, that's not possible. Just do what you, you know, no, it's not good for you. But then she would have weeks when she was struggling and they would not be okay that she was struggling. But had they let her work at her pace of give me more and right now I need my own time, she would always far exceed other employees. And this is what they're missing out on with this, you know, it's almost, I, I kind of feel like we're still in the factory world. Shut up, turn off your brain, turn up and just do what you're told. And then go home and live this vanilla life. You know, it's like, when are these people going to realize? When are they going to stop 
and hear it. And it's it's only when they get these innovative brains around them that they will. 100%. They need us, is the great news. 100%. Yeah, 100%. It's funny when you're saying there, talking there about the uh, analysts or whatever, like I have a friend who was... We literally wrote the code we work it's i think it's gone under now but he's worked with a different company but he's like um he was literally writing the code for their chat on their website like so high up it's silly and like he literally you'd think he's homeless if you met him like he just sits he sits and works from home and he just like yeah. would code code stuff for he'd get like a week's work done in over oh, in a couple hours and He'd be making apps and he'd be like making games. He's like, oh, look at this game. I lived next to him in the apartment next to him when I was in Vancouver. And he'd be like, oh, look at this game I made yesterday. And it's like, oh, look, what? And he'd show us and, you know, and yeah, mm. just, but he doesn't, wouldn't, couldn't be in an office, you know, or yeah, it's, it's just interesting. Yeah, well, these brains, the, the society is miss, currently missing out on these brains. And these are the brains that are changing the world. You know, these are the Elon Musks. These are the Richard Bransons. And the challenge is when you don't understand your brain and, you know, these brains that can be brash, if they want to influence um, and make a difference, they can, you know, but often they don't realise. So without realising, they don't have the opportunity to work out how they can better influence others. You know, Anton works with some that will, you know, they're CEOs and they're like, but I'm black and white and she's fluff. And, and like, you know, God, I just don't do fluff. And he's like, do you want to influence them? And he's like, well, yeah. And he's like, well, then you need to do some fluff. So, you know, it's like, it's always looking as what is the motivational driver? We've created a recruitment brain wiring card deck where you go, what is the motivational driver that will ensure success for this person? And when you do it, it's amazing. Then I'm guessing you, like me, would probably pick the, the, what is it, entrepreneurial or inspirational driver. And, you know, it's that whole to make a difference, to a positive difference, to impact human humankind, you know, da la la. And when you see that and when people realise that and they go for jobs that will, or do things that help them do that, that's what will get them out of bed. That's what will get them focused. Um, he's done it with my son, with having stuff at school and it's like what is it you want he wants to go to university and have options it's like okay the behaviors you are doing right now are not going to get you there how do we set you up for success you know how do we actually influence people to um, get to where they want to go in a way that works well for them and others and and i laugh at the organizations who complain about a school shortage it's because they're looking for bloody unicorns and it's like that, you know, my mother was, she was such a smart aleck. She'd give me that birthday card that had the skeletal woman on the park bench looking for the perfect man. And that's what I say to these organizations. I literally share, and Anton goes, what do you do that? They don't get it. And I'm like, they do. Um, you know, you're looking for unicorns and they're not out there. You, you To find a data-structured empath innovator, you can't complain if you're trying to look for the perfect person. So it's a case of going, what does this role or position need the most to be successful and for the team to be successful? And then writing the ad or, you know, however, like recruiting, using that terminology for how you attract them, how you assess them, and also how you onboard them. You know, like a top right ADHD, you can throw us in the deep end and we'll, we'll muffuddle our way around and we'll chat and work out enough to get there. 
but structure would be nice, but you do that with the bottom right empath. You know, he worked with someone who'd um, very bottom right. They started a role in an um, elderly care home. First two days, they were thrown straight into cleaning ulcers and pulley buttons. No support, no, but they were an absolute empath. They needed em empathy to onboard. They were gone. They would have been amazing at that job. You know, it's who is it the person we need or what is the talent we need or what is the talent we have and how do we use that really well to so everybody thrives um, and get the best for everybody. But it's that human element, it's that human focus, which not all the brain profiles focus on. Mm. Well, brilliant. We could keep chatting forever, but um, I think we'll leave it there. And uh, thanks, Mill, <laughs> for your time. And where can people find you? Um, so divergentthinking.co.nz. So it's like divergent thinking. There's only one T in the middle. Um, but yeah, that's where you find us. And uh, and yeah, do join the, you know, reach out because next month we're doing a lot for ADHD month. So if you think it's something that you might have or want to hear more from people, um, including ADHD New Zealand, we'll, there'll be, um, we'll have, actually we'll put on the events page what we're doing and come join us and learn. A lot of people have worked out there, even just from those discussions where they may sit, what their big end profile is. So come join us and thank you for having me. It's been awesome to talk about one of my favorite topics and hear and see you relate it to your world. Cool. And Cheers. what you're doing. Cheers. Thanks so much. Cheers for listening into the pod today. If you're new to the pod, welcome. Be sure to check out some earlier episodes and subscribe wherever you're listening so that you get the new episodes when they're released. In my mid-twenties, I began studying the mind, and that led me to playing the best rugby in my life, and enjoying it so much all the time, like regardless of results. Whereas when I was younger, there were highs and lows, and it felt uncertain, like I was on a roller coaster. But then, when I began developing and harnessing my mind, it felt like I'd absolutely cracked the code. Now I work one-on-one -on -one with players and yes, I help you overcome challenges and we do mental skills work so that you can consistently perform at your peak. But I also help you expand your mind and grow as a person. You know the way you often feel like you have more in you, you have more to express, you have more to bring. And it kind of gets frustrating when, yes, you're getting some results, but you know you have more inside you. I help you bring that out. Every single player that I've worked with one-on-one -on -one for over 12 months has made a team that they didn't think they could make in that time and or signed a new increased contract that way more than covered the investment that they made in themselves for the one-on-one -on -one coaching. If you're a player or coach and would like to learn more, head over to offfieldrugby.com now and book your free 30-minute Zoom consultation with me. Through this podcast, I want to help millions of people live happier, more fulfilled and more successful lives because I absolutely know that it's possible. If you want to be an absolute legend now and help me out, there's three things you can do. First is to share the pod. You can send it on some friends, share it on social media and simply just tell people about it. 
Second, you can leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening now. On Apple Podcasts, when you click into the pod, you can scroll down and there's an option to leave a review and up to a five-star rating. And on Spotify, when you click into the pod, on the left-hand side, you'll see a little star. You can click on that and then leave up to a five-star rating again. And third thing, lastly, just make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening. Those three things, sharing the pod, leaving a rating and a review and subscribing really, really help the podcast grow. Helps us help more people. So thank you so, so much. Please connect with me over on social media. Instagram is at Brian Moylet, at Offfield Rugby. LinkedIn is Brian Moylet. And any thoughts, questions, feedback, please let me know. I would love to hear from you. Thanks a mil for listening today. I really, really appreciate it. Be good to yourself, get after it, and I will see you next week. Cheers.